turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. There's a ring of truth that Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Ring of Truth with our pastor and teacher, Dan Sexton, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City. Please join Pastor Dan as he teaches through God's Word. They didn't receive correction. They refused to turn back to God. They refused to repent. In fact, they became more determined in their sin. They made their faces harder than rock. God warned them over and over and over and over through all of the prophets that he sent, and they ignored the warnings of God. God did everything he could do. God did everything he could do for them, and nothing worked. The people of Judah in Jeremiah's time were repeatedly rebellious and hard-hearted towards God. He gave them opportunity again and again to turn from their ways. But they never did. Even in the face of defeat from their enemies, their hearts didn't change. And as you will see today with Pastor Dan, their defeat was imminent because of their hard hearts. When you hear warnings or feel nudges from God, do you open your heart to hear what He's saying or ignore it and go your own way? Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of Jeremiah chapter 5 for today's edition of Ring of Truth. You know, with each judgment, the people just become harder. They just become harder, just like we see back in Jeremiah, where the people just became, you know, harder than rock. They're just more determined than ever. They're not going to turn back to the Lord. They're not going to repent. Verse 4, Therefore I said, Surely these are the poor. These are the foolish. He's talking about the regular people, the common people. For they do not know the way of the Lord and the judgment of their God. I will go to the great men, the leaders, and speak to them. For they have known the way of the Lord and the judgments of their God. Jeremiah says, well, you know, this is just the response of the common people, the regular people. I'll go to the leaders of Judah who know the law of God, who know the ways of the Lord, who know the judgment of their God. But look at the end of verse 5. But these, the leaders, have altogether broken the yoke and burst the bonds. The leaders have thrown off God's yoke. (laughs) You know, he thinks, well, this is just what the common people say. I'm going to go to the leaders. The leaders are worse than the regular people. They've thrown off the yoke of God. They don't want God at all. They don't want God ruling over them in any way. It's very similar to the prophecy that's given in Psalm 2. I'll read it for you. You don't have to turn there. But in Psalm 2, there it says in verse 1, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? 
the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. The rulers there, it says, the leaders take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. That's the Messiah. It's Jesus saying, let us break their bonds in pieces. Let us cast away their cords from us. And so in the last days of Judah, before judgment came, the leaders didn't want God ruling over them. They didn't want God at all or the word of God to have any kind of authority over them and the way they govern. And we're told again, in in the last days that are to come, uh, that the people will throw off the yoke of God and the yoke of God's words. And instead, they will trust in an antichrist. They'll trust in this world leader that is a replacement for Christ. Because they don't want God. They don't want God's rules. They don't want God's word ruling over them. So verse 6 now. Because they've done this, therefore a lion from the forest shall slay them. A wolf of the desert shall destroy them. A leopard will watch over their cities. Everyone who goes out from there shall be torn in pieces because their transgressions are many and their backslidings have increased. This judgment will come upon the nation. It'll be unsafe for everyone. You know, judgment is inevitable for those who rebel against God and God's authority, God's lordship. And so we're told here at the end of verse 6, that this judgment comes because their transgressions are many and their backslidings have increased. God has chastened them. God has tried to correct them, but they didn't receive correction. They refused to turn back to God. They refused to repent. In fact, they became more determined in their sin. They made their faces harder than rock. God warned them over and over and over and over through all of the prophets that he sent, and they ignored the warnings of God. God did everything he could do. God did everything he could do for them, and nothing worked. And so in verse 7, God asks the question, how shall I pardon you for this? How shall I pardon you for this? Your children have forsaken me, And sworn by those that are not God, speaking of idols, when I had fed them to the full, I've blessed them, I've prospered them, I've provided for them abundantly. And how do they repay God? Then they committed adultery, a spiritual adultery, and assembled themselves by troops in the harlot's house. They lined up for the harlot's house to commit spiritual adultery. God says here, how shall I pardon you for this? And God has laid out his case here against Judah and in light of all that God has done for them. You know, there was no reason now why God should have forgiven Judah. They're guilty. And in light of all of our sin and all of our rebellion that each of us have in our heart, there's really no reason for God to forgive us because we're guilty. 
So why does God forgive us? Because of his great love for us. That's what the Bible tells us. You know, just because of his love for us. You know, it says in Ephesians um, chapter 2, there it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. We were dead in our trespasses. We were guilty. And yet God, because of his great love for us, he saved us and he forgave us. He redeemed us and he gave us eternal life because of his love, because of his love. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 is an interesting verse. They were like well-fed, lusty stallions. And everyone neighed after his neighbor's wife. You know, they were eager to commit adultery with his neighbor's wife. And he, it's interesting that Jeremiah mentions stallions here or horses here. Um, when archaeologists excavated the city of David, now the city of David uh, sits on the southern slope of Jerusalem, just south of the Temple Mount. It's the oldest part of Jerusalem. It's the part that David originally settled after he conquered uh, Jerusalem and established that city. And archaeologists excavated down to the layer of the Babylonian conquest. And when they excavated down to that layer, they found thousands, literally thousands of idols. In every house they excavated, almost every house they excavated, they found idols. And it was primarily two idols that they found, little statues. Statues of women representing the fertility goddesses and statues of horses. Because historians don't think they worshipped horses as gods, but the horses to them represented strength and power and, uh, you know, just virility kind of thing. And so they idolized horses, you know. Uh, you know, like in our culture today, uh, sometimes you'll hear someone describe men as pigs or men are dogs. In that culture, men were horses, right? In fact, uh, just last month, just in January, uh, there were a couple people that were out walking in Israel in a park, and they'd had a lot of rain that eroded some of the soil, and they found two little horse idols just laying there in the mud that are thousands of years old. They found these just laying in the mud a month ago, you know. They had idols of horses there. And so it's interesting here in verse 8 that he describes them and compares them to stallions, to horses. It seems here that the Lord is playing off their idolizing of horses in verse 8. And then he asks the question in verse 9, Shall I not punish them for these things, says the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? I mean, God's made his case here. He's made his case against Judah. And it's as if God is saying, you know, what other options do I have at this point? You know, he wanted to forgive them. He pleaded with them to come back to him, to return. But they refused. 
And so God says, now, well, what other recourse do I have? They wouldn't come back. They wouldn't repent. I gave them the opportunity. You know, Jesus is the only way of salvation that God has provided for mankind. And if someone chooses to reject that way of salvation that God has provided and reject Jesus Christ, what other recourse does God have? They've rejected the only way of salvation. You know, the only option God has at that point is to punish them, to judge them, because they've refused the way of salvation. We'll return to Pastor Dan's message in just a moment. First, Pastor Dan would like to tell you about the new Calvary Chapel Ellicott City app. We recently launched an app for our church, and we're really excited about it. It's designed to keep you connected to our radio ministry, Ring of Truth, as well as to our church, Calvary Chapel. And get this, we have over 1,200 sermons on the app. The app is super convenient, it's easy to use, and allows you to listen to Bible studies anytime, anywhere. So download the app right now, search for Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City in your app store, or just follow the links on our website at calvaryec.com. What a great way to stay connected to Scripture. Now, back to today's message on Ring of Truth. And he says that here, shall I not punish them for these things? Says the Lord, shall I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? And now in verse 10, he speaks to uh, the Babylonians who will come and destroy Jerusalem. He says to the Babylonians, go up on our walls and destroy, but do not make a complete end. Don't utterly destroy and kill all of them. There's a future and a hope that God has for his people. Take away her branches, for they are not the Lord's. For the house of Israel and the house of Judah, so the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, have dealt very treacherously with me, says the Lord. They have lied about the Lord and said, It is not he, neither will evil come upon us, nor shall we see sword or famine. The the people were saying of God, of the Lord, It is not he, meaning God will do nothing. God's not going to do anything. God's not going to judge us for what we're doing. What we're doing isn't sin. God's not going to condemn us for our behavior. They believed nothing would happen to them. They believed that they would never be judged for what they were doing. And then judgment came. Again, this is something that will characterize the last days. People in the last days will believe that there's no judgment coming. God's not going to judge us. Nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to happen. In fact, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3 says, When they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Uh, in Matthew 24, in what's known as the Olivet Discourse, because Jesus gave this sermon on the Mount of Olives. Um, In Matthew 24, verse 37, there the Lord says, But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, 
and they did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. He says in the days of Noah, they just went about their life as if nothing was going to happen, eating, drinking, getting married, giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And he said they didn't know until the flood actually came. Then they knew. They didn't believe until it was too late. That's what happens in Judah. In Judah, the people were saying, nothing's going to happen. There's no judgment coming. God's not going to judge us. And they're going to believe that all the way up to the point when the Babylonians are outside their gate. And even then, they still will believe that God will protect them. And nothing's going to happen. Even though all along, God has had his word and prophets declaring that judgment is coming if they don't repent. Now, look at verse 13. And the prophets become wind, for the word is not in them. Thus shall it be done to them. The false prophets is what he's speaking of here. The false prophets were full of hot air. They're full of wind. The word of God was not in them. You know, so there's these false prophets who are declaring, no, thus saith the Lord, you're fine. Thus saith the Lord, he's not going to judge you. He's going to prosper you. You're preaching a false message. Verse 14, therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, He's speaking to Jeremiah now. Because you speak this word, behold, I will make my words in your mouth fire, and this people wood, and it shall devour them. Now, initially, God uh, put his words in Jeremiah's mouth to appeal to the people to return from their backsliding. They have rejected that message. And so now God's word will be like fire, and the people will be Wood, speaking of judgment, fire is often a symbol of judgment in the Old Testament. God will judge Judah by his word now. They wouldn't receive his word and repent, so now his word will serve as judgment upon them. They have the word. And God, initially, he intended for his word to convict them of their sin, and lead them to repentance. But when they harden their hearts against his word, now his word will serve as judgment upon them. Now you see uh, in the Gospels in Luke 16, the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Remember Lazarus dies, he goes to a place of comfort. The rich man dies, he goes to the place of torment. And there in the place of torment, he appeals Uh, to Abraham, and he asked Abraham to send Lazarus back from the dead to warn his brothers because the rich man had five brothers, and he said, send Lazarus back to warn my brothers so they don't end up in this place of torment like me. Do you remember what Abraham's answer was? Abraham's answer was, they've got Moses and the prophets. They've got the word of God. God has given ample witness to them. He's given them the word. They've got what they need to know what they should do. And if they reject the word of God, then that becomes a judgment against them. God will use the word against them. Even Jesus talked about, we've seen this in the Gospel of John, where Jesus said, I don't condemn you. Moses condemns you, right? The word of God condemns you. The word of God judges you. So they've got the word of God. 
And if they don't listen to the word of God, the word of God will be used against them as a testimony against them. Jeremiah's words will be like fire now, and the people will be like wood. Verse 15, Behold, I will bring a nation against you from afar, speaking of Babylon, O house of Israel, says the Lord. It is a mighty nation. It is an ancient nation, a nation whose language you do not know, nor can you understand what they say. You know, God is speaking of Babylon coming from afar. And he says here that this nation that is coming, uh, you won't know their language and you won't understand what they say. You won't be able to communicate with them. You won't be able to negotiate with Babylon. You won't be able to negotiate a peace agreement. You won't be able to negotiate terms of surrender. You won't be able to negotiate uh, anything. You won't be able to plea for mercy with them because they're not going to understand anything you say. And so they're just going to come in and destroy you. Their quiver is like an open tomb. They are all mighty men, and they shall eat up your harvest and your bread, which your sons and daughters should eat. They shall eat up your flocks and your herds. They shall eat up your vines and your fig trees. They shall destroy your fortified cities in which you trust with the sword. They're going to destroy everything, and they're going to take everything. They're going to strip the nation of all of its resources, which historically that's what Babylon did. And they came into a nation. They took everything of value and just laid waste to the land. Just this, you know, scorched earth policy kind of thing. And archaeology has shown that that's what they did. And you would think after a warning like this of the consequences of their rebellion that the people would turn back to the Lord. I don't want that to happen to me. But they don't. They don't. So verse 18, nevertheless, in those days, says the Lord, I will not make a complete end of you. There's still this future and hope that God has for his people. He's not going to completely wipe them out. And it will be when you say, why does the Lord our God do all these things to us? Then you shall answer them just as you have forsaken me and served foreign gods in your land, so shall you serve aliens in a land that is not yours. The people of Judah wanted to serve foreign gods, so what did God do? He sent them to a foreign land where they could worship those foreign gods. He sent them to Babylon. Sometimes, sometimes, when we are stiff-necked and hard-hearted and we refuse to listen and we refuse to repent, sometimes, God gives us what we want, and he gives it to us in huge doses. Babylon was filled with idolatry, and God gets to the point where their their hearts are just so hard that God says, okay, if you want to worship foreign gods, I'm going to send you to the capital of foreign gods, and you can just go and worship your foreign gods then until you're sick of it. Then you can come back. Sometimes God does that. If we're stubborn enough, God does that with us. Verse 20, declare this in the house of Jacob and proclaim it in Judah, saying, Hear this now, O foolish people, without understanding, who have eyes and see not, and who have ears and hear not. Now, this is exactly how God describes idols in the Psalms. 
The book of Jeremiah entails many prophecies given to the people of Israel, but they weren't just commands of judgment and consequence. Within these pages, Jeremiah gives insight into the coming promises that Jesus would offer by coming and fulfilling a new covenant of redemption for all people. What's interesting is that Jeremiah poured his heart and soul out as he wrote this book. It wasn't just a dry dissertation of what people should do or what should come about. Jeremiah was a living and breathing person during the time of siege and exile, and he felt deeply for the people and nation he was a part of. His empathy for his kinsmen should resonate with you as you're part of a larger group of people in a nation and ultimately part of God's family. Is there a stirring within you to see those who are lost come to have a saving knowledge of Christ? If so, you might be able to relate to Jeremiah more than you thought. If you're enjoying this series through the book of Jeremiah and would like to hear more teachings, we encourage you to visit our website at calvaryec.com. In addition to listening to these teachings, you can access more information about the church behind this ministry, Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City. As a church, our heart is geared towards spreading the gospel message to all we come in contact with. And we welcome anyone to worship with us at our location in Columbia, Maryland. For service times and location, check out calvaryec.com. Thanks for joining us today. Next time, we'll continue looking at the book of Jeremiah, here on Ring of Truth. I see the signs and I recognize the hands that crack.